Good morning, everyone. Welcome to First Christian Church. We're glad you're here. Uh, welcome to uh, worship on the 4th of July. Particularly if you're joining us online, we're very glad you're here as well. To everybody in the East Auditorium, thanks for being here today. Uh, let me introduce myself. If you're, if you're a guest, my name is Wayne. I'm part of the pastoral team, and I'm spending some time with you today in Scripture. If you'll take your Bible, please, and turn to the book of Matthew. That's the first book in the New Testament, so it's about three-quarters of the way through the Bible. Matthew chapter 28, and then we'll be reading from Acts chapter 1 later on yet as well today. Before we get to that, though, um, just a note of, um, well, I'd like to read something to you today that might be helpful for us. That when in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with one another, and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind require that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. They are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive to these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundations on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and their happiness. You recognize the, that language, I'm sure, from the Declaration of Independence. I think it's appropriate on this day that we thank God we live in a land that, despite all our foibles, still says, in the long run, we at least want people to be able to be safe and to move towards happiness. Let's thank God for that. God, we've got lots of struggles in our land. We acknowledge that. Some of them are age old, decades old, generations old. But we also have some successes, God. Namely, that we do get to pursue happiness, God, and that we are a nation that works for safety for all people. We've got some roads yet to travel in that regard. But we thank you for the progress made so far in this land called the United States of America. And indeed, this would be our prayer. May you, God, bless America, Lord, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. So, let me step now into preaching, if I may. Now, I must tell you that as I'm preaching today, I have to let you in on a secret. It's a secret that I carry with me every weekend. And every weekend, I'm holding this secret in my head. I don't know that I've ever told you this before. In all the years that we've done life together, I don't know that I've ever told you today, like what I'm going to tell you right now. I'm not ready to preach. Oh, it's not nervousness. Of course, there's adrenaline that, that kind of runs through your veins every time you get up to free, speak in front of people. And I don't have the fear, if you will, that many of you might have of speaking in public. I think I've moved through that. And it's not that I didn't take the appropriate amount of time to study and prepare and to pray and to look at all the different angles of what we're going to examine today. But I must tell you that in preaching uh, to you and for you today, I'm simply not ready. 
Here's why. You've got the wrong guy. I'm not saying that so you'll prop me up and say, no way, and you've got your act together. That's not my point. See, each day that I'm charged with leading our congregation, in each conversation in which I'm expected to bring some godly wisdom, each weekend when I'm responsible to interpret God's Word for you and to you, I sort of quake in my shoes. I hold on to this table or to the pulpit when, it's, when we use the actual pulpit. And um, on the pulpit that we've had in this building for many, many years, if you look right on the edge of it there, the varnish is all worn off the pulpit. That's because me holding on for dear life and sweating it off over all these years. It's not nerves, but it's a sense of responsibility aligned with a very real question. Where on earth did you all come from? And why are you here? And why me? Don't you know I'm not the guy? Here's why. I was raised in a strong Christian family, and I must give lots of props to my parents for making certain that my siblings and I, um, that we were raised uh, in ways that brought us to Christ at, young, at a young age. And that's all really good. I want to start with it. It's all really good. But like your family, there's some areas of family life that perhaps um, you don't know about. And that maybe in this case of what I'm going to tell you, there were some aspects of our family life that others didn't really appreciate. For example, um, on my mother's side, I was the firstborn of 17 cousins. That meant that uh, everybody, I have four aunts and uncles um, and their spouses, and grandma and grandpa, Everybody doted on me when I was first born, and I remember it very well, because it was a while before my, the next cousin, my, my, uh, a young lady, a, a granddaughter came along. Um, her name is Shireen. And then you go further on down, and um, some of the cousins later on down the line, uh, they didn't get the royal treatment like me, and there's a bit of bitterness in them about that when I talk to them about it. Yeah, Wayne, you're the favorite, because you're the oldest, that sort of thing. My grandmother particularly displayed that in ways that may not have been very wise. She was... Um, she was a very special woman. I, I loved her dearly. She wasn't wealthy, um, not at all. As a matter of fact, as I think back on it, I'd have to say she was poor, probably very poor. Um, I remember doing laundry with her. I don't know if how many remember doing laundry, but laundry in those days, I mean, back right after Jesus was alive was when I was a child. <laughs> <laughs> laundry in those days was uh, quite, a quite a task. We'd go out to the laundry house. I think it's probably just a shed now that I think about it, but there were, there were some brick walls out there, and there was a, a big copper kettle about this round set in some bricks, and there'd be a place to put some wood underneath, and we'd light a fire underneath that copper kettle and get the water inside it heated up really hot uh, to the point where it would be almost boiling. And you'd throw the clothes in and some laundry detergent of some sort, and there was this long stick, uh, probably about that round, and you'd stir the clothes. I mean, there, there was no agitator. You were the agitator. And I remember it being hot, and you'd do this and this and this and this and this and this. And then because the water was so hot, you couldn't reach in and get the clothes. So you'd take that stick in there and kind of let... I'm, I'm a little boy, and was, everything was heavy, and you'd leverage the, the, the edge of the, of the, of the kettle and... Bring the, uh, bring, the, bring the clothes up and slop them over into the next sink, which was a cement sink. It was big, but this wide, this wide, and it was full of cold water. And you'd stir them around in there to get them rinsed, and then you'd pull them out one by one and run them through the wringer, and you'd do this. 
and then they'd be in a, in a dry sink, and then you'd pick them up, and you'd take them outside to either hang on the clothesline, or you'd, in the winter you'd bring them inside and put them around the kerosene heater. I wonder what she'd think of our modern laundry efficiency these days. I would usually spend the night with her on Saturday nights with some regular basis. I'd sleep in a bed out on the enclosed porch, and I'd wake up to breakfast in bed. Uh, there was hot tea to, to sip. Can I tell you I made a mistake last night? I'm going to tell you. When I did the hot tea thing last night, I, 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 instead of doing this, I did, which was... Because here's why. Because it was like this, and it was always a teacup, and you had to hold your finger out. And so I was, I was doing the sipping the hot tea, but somebody in the, some people in the congregation thought that that wasn't appropriate, so we didn't do that today. <laughs> Hot tea, hot tea in a mug <laughs> or in a cup. Oh, God, I'm still embarrassed by it, but I, have to, I thought I might as well just admit it because it's going to be on video somewhere or other. I'm sure you're going to see it again. Anyway, it'd be hot tea somehow or other. I won't show you how I drank it. And then there'd be toast. Toast was just dripping with butter and orange marmalade. I don't know why we always had orange marmalade, but we'd have orange marmalade. The radio would be on on a Sunday morning, and she'd be listening to the music from the churches, you know, down in 60 miles down the mountains in Sydney, Australia. And as much as I loved her, and, and think of those days with great fondness, there's also some truth that when being part of that family brought struggle. We were Pentecostals. We still are Pentecostals, I guess you could say. My family is still Pentecostal. I would still consider myself a Pentecostal. We believe in the full gifts of the Spirit and God working in ways that some people don't fully understand fully, but fair enough. We'll leave that aside. But we were Pentecostals in a small town with very few other Pentecostals. In Australia in the late 50s and into the 60s, that meant, well, I would say I remember lots of ridicule and being the object of a lot of comments and remark by, remarks made by teachers and kids at school. And any sense that if as Pentecostals, you know, those Pentecostal Christians, any sense that we might be community leaders as a, as a kid, as, as a member of that family, remember, at least from my worldview as a, like a nine-year-old, we'll never be community leaders. We didn't fit the profile, Pentecostal Christian, and people listening to what we said, those two things never met in the middle. And I suppose that sense of belonging to an undesired group within the community probably shapes me to this day, which is why I say when I get in the pulpit each week, where did you all come from? And don't you know I'm not ready? I'm not the guy? Do I have something to say that warrants your attention? But since I am in the pulpit, I've got a few things to say this morning that you might listen to. We're exploring the core values of our, of our church in this sermon series, looking at our, our foundations. These are the, the four things that we say as a congregation. These are the bookends of how we do life together. It's how we think, how we pray, how we act, how we, how we do life together. And here's the core values. We respond to God's Word. We encounter the Holy Spirit. We build community. And we embrace change. We've already done the first two, 
And when we think about the community, and particularly as I think about as a child, of impacting the community and how impossible that would felt like it would ever be, to say today that as a congregation we want to build this community, it's always this great dichotomy within me. We want to build the community inside the walls and outside the walls. So this is what we say as a congregation, that we have a responsibility to the community, that's the group out there, and we have a responsibility to this community as well. And at times, I'm still the nine-year-old, wondering how the community sees us, or perhaps me more specifically acknowledge that. But since I am part of a leadership team of a congregation that strives to influence the community, I keep going back, how did this come about? And why are you all here? It doesn't sometimes meet together in my head space, but it does in my heart. In light of what Jesus said, Jesus spoke to our responsibility to the community and this community. It's part of his great commission, the, great, the, the, the responsibility that all Christians carry to be Jesus' tangible touch in both places over there and places here. Can I, can I get you to read it with me in Matthew chapter 28 today? Jesus said to his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, all the people over there. Well, this is what you're supposed to do is you make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So if you keep looking at those two passages, make note of where we're supposed to carry Jesus' message. All nations. We get that. I think Christians have always realized, you know, it's our responsibility to evangelize, to proselytize, to convert, to ask people to come to Christ in places far away where they've never heard the name of Jesus Christ. That's why we as a church have global mission endeavors in places like Central Asia and Kenya and Cuba, where they're working when Jesus' name is not known. But there's also something fascinating about Jesus' statement from Acts 1. Because I want you to note that both Matthew chapter 28 and Acts chapter 1, Jesus made the, both those statements in just a few days apart. And at that time, he was in Jerusalem, the place that had already heard. They already knew about his message. They'd already heard his name. It was the community where he was already known. But he expected his followers to speak on his behalf in the places where his message was already available. And so to that end, a Christ follower has a responsibility to speak to his or her local community. And for us, that's Decatur and Central Illinois. That's why Pastor BJ and his team and both the staff and the volunteers that he has with him work so diligently in community missions. I mean, we spend a lot of resources and a lot of people hours in, in our work in the community through BJ's ministry and at the block and at the school. We also have a lot of hours and people, um, employees and volunteers with Pastor Robert and his staff and his team at the hospital and the chaplaincy team, not only at the hospital, but both at the, at the hospital, at, the, at Crossing Healthcare, Cancer Care Clinic, and uh, pretty soon the jail will open back up to us again. We have staff chaplains that are your representatives on the payroll or are volunteers from the church in all those places. And if you don't know this, it's a phenomenal ministry. We do it on behalf of the community for the community. And what's remarkable, last year, last year, when our chaplains went to those facilities, because they're all medical facilities, we have to keep track of who we're praying and talking to. Did you know that last year those chaplains prayed with 49,000 different people? That's remarkable. Ab ha almost half the population of the, of the city could say would be represented there. By the way, there's more coming to our chaplaincy department. We have a beginning initiative to have a first Christian church chaplain reaching into the lives of the members of DMH 
of the staff who work in the evening and nighttime shifts. See, the daytime chaplains, they visit with patients and obviously with daytime employees. But they're tend, we don't tend to have a lot of people there working in the evening or at nighttime because the patients are asleep. They don't need us bothering them. But we are about to start a new initiative. We can pull it off where we're going to have chaplains there for employees during the afternoon shift and the nighttime shift. I'll keep you, I feel like I've let the cat out of the bag a little bit that, about that a little bit early, uh, but we're working on that to that endeavor. And all of it is good. My point being that we really want to care for this community. And it comes from Jesus' statements to be out there where, where, we, you know, where these people are. And it comes from our core value number three, we build community. So for us, speaking to the community, building community is for the sake and the, the care, if you will, the well-being of the community. It's also, of course, for our, the, how we want to tell people about Jesus Christ and, and witness to the community. We, uh, there's a really cool story, by the way, about what's come out of the radio show. You know, we have a radio show. Um, it's now in its 16th year. Do you know about it? Direct line. Direct Line, brought to you by Newhoff Media and First Christian Church on nowdecator.com if you want to listen on, online. Our news talk, 1340 WSOY, 1340 AM or 103.3 FM. We'd be glad to have you join us on Wednesday evenings from 5 to 6 p.m. I've said that a few times. So here's, we've been on the air for 16 years now doing this, and here's, here's a cool story that came out of the radio. Uh, there was this fellow traveling back and forth between work and Shelbyville. He worked in Shelbyville. He'd come home every day, go down every day. And on Wednesdays, he started listening to Direct Line. About uh, probably 11 years ago now, non-churched. He showed up at First Christian Church with he and his wife said, uh, we are unchurched, but there's something about what you're saying on Wednesday nights, just we do, you know, and not preaching, but um, I'd like to learn about faith. He was 80 years old. At 80 years old, he and his wife came to faith and uh, became active members of our church. And next thing you know, 10 years in, coming up, coming up on 90, they both developed illnesses, and they both died, fully engaged in Christian living. I visited their home a number of times before, well, before they died, obviously, not after they died, but I visited their home before they died they, in my office, and we talked about their conversion, about how they'd gone from non-faith to faith. And <laughs> It was so cool, if you will, that when they died, it was clear, this, this elderly couple. I mean, the number of people who come to Christ late in, late in life is so small. How did that happen? Because of our community outreach through radio. The, the church has an intentional plan to build the community. But having said all that, you recall that I indicated that building the community is not only for those outside the walls of our building, but we also choose to build this community, the story of our lives and life together. And so we build community life within First Christian Church. Why? Because Jesus highlighted interaction between his, his followers. He said you, you, he expected his, his followers to be involved and engaged in relationships. As a matter of fact, this was part of his thought in the last few hours right before he died. He was in the garden. He's praying. It's called his high priestly prayer. And we have the, re the record of what he was praying to God about in just the moments before the soldiers came to arrest him. He's within hours of his death, and he's thinking about you and me. In John chapter 17, in his high priestly prayer, he says, I pray for those who believe in me through the disciples' message. So that would be us, right? We came to faith because the disciples told someone about Jesus Christ and told someone, told someone. If they had not told anybody, we wouldn't be Christians today. I pray for all of them 
that's you and me, that they would be one, Father, just as you are in me and I'm in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you have sent me. I've given the followers the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me. Why? So they may be brought to complete unity. And once we're in unity, what's it say? Then the world will know you sent me. So here's Jesus in his last moments thinking of you and me, asking God that our relationships would be on track. And apparently those outside the faith can judge whether Jesus actually came to earth from heaven. They get to judge his behavior and his action based on our unity. And I find that, well, I find, I find that distressing at times. Here's why I find it distressing. Because as you know, at times the body of Christ is not all that unified. And yet, apparently, as Jesus prayed, relational integrity and unity describe one of Christianity's defining characteristics used by God to validate Jesus' mission. And I would suggest the church universal, and many times the church local, has missed the mark on this business. And do you know the theological word for miss the mark? What's the theological word when you say you missed the mark on something? It's three letters. Sin. Seriously, sin means to miss the mark. And our churches and our church have sinned in this regard. There's no other way to say say this. Sinful behavior is not just about other churches when it comes to unity. I would have to say that this idea of sinful behavior when it comes to unity has been focused on our own congregation at times. At present, all is well, but if you know the story of any church that is 187 years old, like we are, then you know the story is not always roses and compliments. And our story of 187 years, 187 years of relationships, we've got lots of successes, but we also have a task to have an acknowledgement of that we have some flaws. All of that story is good reason for us to intentionally say we build the community, but we also build this community. We've got to carry that on. We've got to keep working on that because I would expect that if at any moment we might stop that focus on building unity and building this community, then we will suffer. We'll write a a sad chapter in our history instead of adding a a wonderful adventure tale to our legacy. And of course, that means we've got to have more than just leaders focusing on that. That means you've got to focus on that. And so can I give you some ways this morning in which you and I as individuals, not just the church, the congregation, but how can you and I focus on um, growing this community called First Christian Church? Some ideas. Not a full exhaustive list, but a start for you to think about this week. First of all, I would suggest you need to continue to gather together with other Christians on a regular basis. In the past, prior to the Internet, Churches assumed that gathering together meant meeting in a building. And there's this passage in the book of Hebrews where Christians of that day reminded each other, hey, we need to get together as a group. It says, consider how we may spur one another onto love and good deeds. So how can we do love and how can we be people involved in good? How can we do that? By not, by not, meeting, not giving up meeting as some are in the habit of doing, but by encouraging one another. Apparently, some in those days didn't see the need for regular gatherings of worship or life together. And apparently that same approach is found in some Christians today. Some Christians today, and they choose, and I get it, 
they choose to forego gathering together with other Christians. And it's usually, usually because they say, so, do you know those Christians at that church? They're so unkind. Oh, yeah, that's true. Do you know those Christians at that church? There are moments when they are just absolute hypocrites. Absolutely. And at first glance, those concerns about the behavior of other Christians would seem like a legitimate reason to forego hanging out together. But the Bible doesn't say hang out with each other just because everybody's good. It says, no, hang out with, it, with each other so that you may spur one another on to good. If we wait for everybody to be good, then we might as well not bother having church. For us in the 21st century, finding out ways now to meet beyond this actual building, can I say, I like it, it's thrilling to me. Now we have small groups who meet in homes or in restaurants and coffee shops, and we learned during COVID small groups can even meet via Zoom, and people today, if you're online with us today, you're worshiping with us today, and I find it all very exciting. I really do. I don't know what the future holds with that or what it all looks like, but I can tell you this. The congregation of First Christian Church in the days ahead is going to be not just meeting in this building, but meeting in hundreds of spaces. As a matter of fact, we already are. We already are. And for those who are online today, I want to say thank you for inviting me into your home and the other people of this church into your home or maybe onto your phone, whether it's today or in days ahead. And I would ask and simply say, for those who have only been online in the last year or so, I miss you. You've gotten to see my face, but I miss seeing your face. And so as you can and as you're comfortable, as appropriate, step in and say hello again. Let's build this, let's build this community from the building and from the online presence by choosing to worship and do life with other Christians. And then part of building this community means that we need to step into prayer and spiritual warfare with each other. I know we can all pray by ourselves. I have a prayer journal. I, you know, most days I'm in there, and you can do a scripture states by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We can do that as individuals, and God answers. That's great news. But may I also remind you that Scripture also says, be alert and of sober mind because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. In other words, Satan is trying to thwart you and thwart God's plan for you. Satan, friends, is trying to mess with you and your fellow Christians. And one way to counteract his attacks, pray with others. And you go, how? I don't know how to pray with others. I can't pray out loud, and I don't even know anybody to pray with. If that's the case, what I'd like to do is I'd like you to get engaged in that this week. Call the office. Send us an email. Or even right now, text something to the, that says, I'd like to start praying with other Christians. And just text the church's phone number, 217-875-3350. We'll get you engaged, all right? Well, here's another idea that um, at first glance sounds easy, but it's not easy. Maybe move around where you, if you're in the building, or if you're in a Zoom meeting, move to a different, move around a little bit where you gather in the church. Uh, sit somewhere else. Don't sit in the same spot, worship after worship service. Um, meet some new people. If you worship online, maybe attend a different worship service and um, and uh, go, in, go into the, the chat box, if you will, and, and, and get involved in a chat room and, and take on a new perspective. And perhaps those who are in the East one week, why don't you worship in the West? And everybody here in the West, why don't you worship in the East? And, and just meet some new people. See, in a congregation of our size, I know it's easy to hide 
and to be anonymous. Fair enough, I get it. Some people, when they come in, probably all of us, when we first come into, the, into a church, you want to check it out and, and go, oh, who are these people? And, we, we, you know, and it's, it's easy to, in a church like First Christian to be anonymous. But if that carries on for a long time, if you've been with us a long time and you're still anonymous, I would call you to, maybe it's not the best. Because Jesus expected his followers to be in relationships with other followers. Again, if you're struggling with that, grab one of us and we'll help you get started, okay? Finally today, the way in which we build this community is um, perhaps in an unusual way that you wouldn't have anticipated. Namely, to weep and rejoice with each other. That is an odd way to come up with a final point for today's sermon, isn't it? What do you mean, weep and rejoice? Well, Scripture puts it this way. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. And I have a suspicion. I think us Christians, we probably do very, very well at weeping with one another. When a crisis comes into somebody's life, I mean, we have this authentic, automatic, Jesus-style, Holy Spirit-driven compassion. When they weep, we want to weep. It just, it's, it's who we are. And um, we give time and money and attention, and we build this community, this community that way. And I've seen you excel beyond God's wildest hopes in this area for many, many years. This is a congregation made up of people who are generous, be, be beyond belief, generous of heart, generous of spirit, and generous of pocketbooks. And when we've come to you and said, this family is doing this, or we have this setting, or whatever, I mean, you weep with your compassion. You weep with your resources. You weep with who you are. I, thank you. Thank you for building this community that way. But I have a question for us. How well do we do with the rejoicing side? Of that. How well do we do in, with rejoicing with those who rejoice? What happens when someone has a life moment that might speak of success, that they've made it over some hump, or they've worked hard and something, some trial has come to an end, or an extra grace gift has come from God, sort of out of nowhere? Surely we don't get envious or ascribe impure motives to someone's choice for, for good in their lives, do we? And particularly this weekend, if we'd say the Declaration of Independence is that we get to be safe and, and, and happy, um, you get the idea. We would never choose bitterness, would we? Can we rejoice that so-and-so is able to afford a different car? And when you look at it, you go, oh, man, that's better than my car. Can you rejoice or are you envious? They don't deserve that. Perhaps... A family comes and they go, we're having a, we're having a baby. And you go, another one? <laughs> like as if that's wrong. Like, come on. If a baby is a gift from God, don't go. Do you know how you got that? Do they know how that works? Or maybe a person got a large gift that enabled him or her to take, man, they've taken the vacation of a lifetime. And you go, man, how'd they get that? We weep well, but can we rejoice as well? Can we rejoice with fellow Christians when good things are happening? Uh, maybe, maybe I could just describe it this way. It takes me back to my early life in Australia as a little boy. That little town called Katoomba, 60 miles west of Sydney, up the mountains. 
And the question that started my whole discussion with you today, could someone with my background influence a community? Because I would tell you as a nine-year-old, I didn't think that would take place. No way. I recall an evening when the entire family, including grandma, I think mom probably was at home, but the majority of my extended family in Katoomba, we were planning to go hear a very famous Romanian pastor by the name of Richard Wormbrand. Some of you may be familiar with Richard Wormbrand. He wrote a book called Tortured for Christ. He detailed the harsh persecution he faced in a Romanian jail, literally jailers whipping his feet and then making him stand 14 days in a row with no sleep. His legs were ruined as a result of it. He could never walk as well, and he could only stand for about 10 minutes at a time. Uh, he went on to found a well-known ministry called the Voice of the Martyrs. Maybe you're familiar with them. Wormbrand was scheduled to preach and speak on a Sunday night at one of the larger local churches in our community. And I remember that the decision was that the family, uh, we were going to go hear Wormbrand speak. And I remember walking, parking the car and walking up Main Street of Katoomba. And at the top of the street, right by the church where this was going to be held, there's a, an arch that had a clock. I mean, this is iconic small town, if you will, and there's a big clock up there. And uh, holding my father's hand as we crossed Main Street, I was probably about nine years old. And it was obvious that many people from the community were going to the event as well. And when we got to the door, we were stopped at the door, and the usher said, you Pentecostals? Uh, we're not allowing you in the sanctuary today. You need to go down in the basement. And I remember leaving the portico of that, of that building and walking down a side alley to go in the basement. And we sat in that basement. I couldn't tell you a thing that man said. Now, I'm nine years old. Fair enough. All I remember sitting there in this room that was painted seafoam green with a speaker stuck up at the corner listening to Richard Wormbrand. From time to time, I wonder about that usher and his fellow Christians, fellow believers, who saw us walking up the street toward them. I don't know if they hatched the plan on the spot or if it was something that a decision had been made a long time beforehand. The Pentecostals are not allowed in our building. Nonetheless, when I think about them, I wonder about you and me. I wonder. Would that usher today, would he rejoice with me today that I get to hang out with you? Because I rejoice about that. Would he rejoice with me that this community called First Christian Church and the community called Decatur, Illinois, would he rejoice with you and with me that that's what we work on together? Would he rejoice at my good fortune? Let's pray together. Lord, We are a congregation. We have plenty of good moments, God. We have moments when we've done things really, really well. And uh, I thank you for that. There are moments, Lord, when we've done some things poorly. People have got injured. We've got injured. We've sinned. 
That's it, straight up, when it comes to this business of building this community. And yet in the middle of it, Lord, you allow us to build the community and build up each other. I pray, Father, that as we think about this core value of our congregation, yes, we respond to God's word, yes, we expect the Holy Spirit to be engaged with us, but Lord, that all then drives the mission for the world and for our community. Call us to um, ever better behavior in that regard, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.